Some sweet videos and prayers, huh? Uh, Many of you can hear, uh, even in just their words, the impact that they have had, uh, not only on my life, but on the life and even the wording of our church. And so I'm thankful for those brothers who have uh, participated in our gathering this morning. Uh, If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 5 this morning. If you don't have one with you, you likely got a phone. And it's got uh, one on there on the great World Wide Web. Uh, However, there's a beautiful black one probably under your chair or your neighbor's chair. And I want you to turn to page one and then flip to page two, maybe page three, uh, where you'll find Genesis chapter five. And I want you to begin thinking uh, about what we are doing this morning, celebrating an anniversary and maybe some of you have celebrated anniversaries, wedding anniversaries, anniversaries of milestones in your own life, or, or even birthdays. Maybe some of you have celebrated a birthday this month or are looking forward to celebrating a birthday. I know my kids love birthdays, uh, and as we get older, they seem to become a little less celebrated except for special events. Nevertheless, there, there's still something. There's still some kid-like aspect in all of us that really do like when our birthday comes around, you know, and maybe something will be made of us, you know, or, or some gift, or, or we get the privilege of taking a break for the day, and maybe our spouse will serve us even more than they already serve us, or something like that. We, we long for those days, and yet those of us that, that are getting older, uh, hitting certain milestones, know that every birthday we're celebrating is just one year closer to death. I'm sorry to be a downer, even on this anniversary Sunday, but that's, that's the reality. Uh, that's the reality that we all face, is that death is coming. And, and even though we know that, we often times try to live as if that's not the case, trying to make the best out of this life, not living this life for the next life. And this passage for us this morning is going to remind us, it's a stark reminder that we won't live forever here on this earth. We're going to die, even if you get 120 birthdays. You're not going to live forever. And yet, even in the midst of this passage that just continues to remind us of death over and over and over, there is a hint of hope that even in the midst of the curse of death that came about because of the sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, there is hope. There is hope that the way to God, there, there is a way to God that we can walk with Him and be with Him forever. We don't have to stay dead in the ground, spending eternal death separated from God. There is a way to be with God, to walk with Him and be with Him forever. And so, the words of 1 Corinthians are true of all of those who walk with God by faith. It says this, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, 
And the power of sin is the law. But listen, Paul says, but thanks be to God who gives us victory. Victory over what? Victory over death. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's the message in miniature version, but we've got a passage before us to walk through, and I want us to begin walking through this together. Now if you did what I told you to do a minute ago, you turned to Genesis chapter 5, and you're probably thinking, you're crazy. Why would you preach a genealogy of all of the passages in God's good and holy and righteous word? Would you choose a genealogy to preach on your 10th anniversary service? And I want you to know we thought through this. This was intentional. We, marked, we were looking, where are we going to be in our journey through Genesis around our 10th anniversary? And it just so happened to be that there was a genealogy before us. And the more we thought about it, the more we thought, that is the perfect passage for us as a church on our 10th anniversary. To remember that we're not going to be here forever. And yet there is a way for us to be with God forever and a way for us to impact those who come after us. So uh, I hope you'll pay attention, uh, even though it's in the midst of a genealogy. Uh, your next question is probably, what in the world is a, a genealogy for? Why are they even in the Bible? They're not in there. Uh, for us to laugh at the person that's reading the names in front of the church. Uh, they're not there to act as a uh, VCR, uh, fast-forwarding through so you can skip ahead in your Bible reading plan and kind of catch up. Uh, if you don't know what a VCR is, kids, then you can ask your, your parents, but uh, some of you know. That's not what these are in there for, where you begin to see this pattern over and over and over. You just think, oh, I can, I can just read the first name of every paragraph, and then I'm just jumping ahead to the good stuff. No, there's good stuff right in this genealogy here. A genealogy uh, helps us to see the Bible's historical accuracy, that there are real individuals this isn't just some fable or some myth. These are real people who really lived in history and lived, in our text, a certain amount of years and had fathers and had sons themselves. Uh, it, the, these genealogies help confirm specific lineages in the Bible. Most importantly for us as you would see, if you went to the New Testament, in the book of Luke, in chapter 3, you would see that this genealogy is copied in Luke chapter 3 to show us Jesus' lineage. That Jesus is, yes, the Son of God, but He's also born of man. And He's born of these members, these, of this family specifically. So genealogies confirm lineages for us. And they sometimes give us details about certain individuals uh, in the midst of the genealogy. One of the things that is important when you're reading through a genealogy is to pay attention to certain names that, that pop up. Maybe the meanings of their names give us uh, clarity on more of who God is or what God is doing. Um, the numbers 
names and numbers sometimes help us see of God's providential care in a specific time, in a specific place. Uh, They point us to more of the truth of God or or look for names and numbers or nuances in the, the text, subtle changes that break the pattern. You're going to see these in our text this morning, and when they jump off the page to you, then I, I hope we will uh, pay attention to them and, and see more of, of these truths. And so, if you look at our text this morning, it starts with these words, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Now, that's an important phrase uh, in the book of Genesis. It's That word generations is the Hebrew word toledot. And that word is important because it breaks up the book of Genesis into ten different sections. Kind of ten different segments of this story that travels from the creation uh, of the world all the way to the time when God's people are in Egypt with Joseph. So as you're reading through Genesis next time, Look for those phrases. We'll see the next one in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, where it says, these are the generations of Noah. So we'll continue to see this if you travel along through Genesis with us. But Moses seems to be summarizing what happened in the first mini-book or the first volume of Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2. Look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. He sums up what has already been said in great detail. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them. And he named them man And when they were created. Now, I don't have time to go back and discuss all of what that means because we've already done so. If you want to know more about what that is, go back and listen to some of those messages to dive into what does it mean to be made in the likeness of God? What does it mean to be uh, made in His image? What does it mean to be blessed by God? Um, Nevertheless, those things are true. And Moses starts off with with those things. And we need to remember, uh, as mankind, male and female, every person who's ever um, been conceived even in their mother's womb has been made in the image of God. We have God's divine stamp, his divine impact, tupos, on our life. And and you can't get rid of that. You, You just, it doesn't matter how many bad things you do, how many Awful things you say, you cannot get the image of God out of you. It's on you for good. And that was done by the Lord himself. And and yet we're reminded in this passage, not only are we made in the image of God, but as the genealogy begins, and as we see the first name and the first numbers begin to come off the page as we begin to hear about Adam, we see the first nuance in the passage. Even though it's in verse 1, we see it different than what we'll see in the other generations of this genealogy. When Adam lived 130 years, and here's the nuance, 
he fathered a son in his own likeness. And we haven't read through this genealogy yet, but you, what you'll notice in verse 6 and verse 9 and verse 12 and verse 15 and verse 18 is that those, that phrase is not there. That he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. You won't see those words of likeness and image and what Moses wants us to realize, what God wants us to realize through Moses writing these words down is not only are we made in God's image, not only is um, God made us in his likeness, but we've also sinned. Adam and Eve sinned. They passed on their sinful nature to their children, Cain and Abel, as well as here, Seth. Seth passed on his sinful nature to his son and to their sons, and on and on and on. And, and yeah, we're made in the image of God, but we also have the image of man. And if we would just be honest with ourselves, we don't have to do too much uh, recollecting, reminiscing. We don't have to do too much introspection to realize that's true of us. That we were all born in sin. And because we were born sinners, we sinned, just like our fathers sinned before us, just like their fathers sinned before them. And, and so we see here there's this, this problem. There, there's this problem as we see played out in Adam's life. He had this sinful nature, this likeness that he passed on to Seth at 130 years old. And then in verse 4, the days of Adam after he fathered Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Adam, all the days that Adam lived, were 930 years, listen, and he died. He died. He was made to live forever with God. But because Adam and Eve sinned, the curse of death came upon all mankind. And Adam died. What God never desired to happen in the beginning happened. 930 years later for Adam. But it wasn't just for Adam. We can continue reading in verse 6. And Seth had lived 105 years. He fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years. Years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh had lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. And when Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. And Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. 
Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. We're reminded of this when we read this section of God's Word and this genealogy that as sinful men, we are deserving of eternal death. If you're taking notes this morning, I'd love for you to write that down as well as some of these other thoughts that help us walk through this passage, other truths that we see ring out from these names and numbers and nuances. And the first one is this, that as sinful men, we are deserving of eternal death. If this genealogy went and you plug this into Ancestry.com, and you got your genealogy, and you put it with, together with this genealogy, this is what you would see all the way up to, to your line, to your generation. And he died. No one escapes from death. They're continually falling into this curse of death, and we need to remember that. We need to remember that this is true of us, that one day, Though we're made in the image of God, though we also have a sinful nature, we deserve eternal death separated from God for all eternity. That's me, that's you, that's the world in which we live. But there's hope. There's hope in verse 21. There's hope in the seventh generation from Adam, in Enoch. In Genesis chapter 4, Moses tracked Cain's genealogy. And the seventh generation from Adam in Cain's family was the pinnacle of evil in a man named Lamech. And yet here, the seventh listed in this generation from Adam is one of the most godly men the Bible speaks about. His name was Enoch. And here again we see a, another, another nuance, another subtle change in, in the pattern. Look in verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Look at verse 22. Something you haven't seen yet in this genealogy. Enoch walked with God. He walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Listen again. Listen to the nuance, the subtle change. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. What are we to make of this subtle change? What are we to make of this break in the pattern in this seventh generation of Enoch. And what we're to do in this moment is to pay attention to those words that are repeated. Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. What does that mean? What does it mean to walk with God? We know, having read Genesis 1-5 through 5 up to this point, that Adam and Eve walked with God in the Garden of Eden. In fact, after they sinned, they heard the Lord walking in the garden and they were fearful and ashamed. They covered, hid, 
and began to blame others. And, and yet here, Enoch is walking with God. We ought to spend a few moments at least considering what, what does that mean. And to do so, I want you to just consider what it means to walk with another. Maybe you want to go on a walk with your spouse, go on a walk with your kids, go on a walk with some friends, go on a walk, walking in the school hallways, walking through the grocery store, on the aisle. When you're walking with someone, what, what does that mean? I mean, there's been times when Joy and I love walking and going on, on these walks, if we're not careful and we're not paying attention, we can get ahead of one another speed up, get behind one another, paying attention to certain things. And when that happens, we're not walking with one another. We're walking in the same area, but not with one another. And, and if we're distracted by certain other things, uh, we may be walking by one another, but we're not walking with one another, paying attention to one another. If you're on a good walk, I don't have to tell Joy the pace at which I want to walk or she wants to walk. In fact, we may have different paces in our mind, but when we're walking together, we don't have to say faster or slower, speed up or slow down, increase or accelerate a little bit more. We don't have to use that verbiage. We just notice one another. Slow down, speed up, walk with one another. There's uh, an understanding, a submission to one another in that moment where we're walking together and there's great enjoyment in that. Have that picture in mind when you're imagining Enoch walking with God. He's not way out ahead of him. He's not far behind him. He's not going his own way. He's walking with the Lord. He's talking with the Lord. He's not doing his own thing in the same area as the Lord. But the Bible also helps us consider what it means to walk with God. Uh, one of the phrases that the Bible uses to help us understand what it means to walk with God, even specifically from Enoch's life, is from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 and 6. This is uh, what some have called the, the heroes of our faith. And there, the writer of Hebrews lists many individuals by name and highlights their faith. And Enoch makes the list. He makes the list because of his faith. And let me point out something here of what it looks like to walk with God. In Hebrews 11 verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken... He was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. One of the things, according to the Bible, that it means to walk with God is pleasing God. That if we hope to walk with Him, we also ought to be hoping for, aiming to please God. And, and how are we able to, to please God? We're reminded in that passage 
that it was by faith that Enoch pleased God. It it doesn't list out a whole bunch of do's and don'ts in Enoch's life in that moment that we ought to replicate. But it it mentions one thing, faith. And, And in fact, it says that it's impossible, church. It's impossible to please God without faith. And you can do everything on your invisible list in your mind and your heart that you want that you think pleases the Lord but it doesn't the only thing that pleases the Lord is by faith those things that are done by faith you can do your entire list without faith and not please God or you can by faith live out your entire list and please God wholly and so that's one aspect I think Enoch, by faith, pleased God. I think he also proclaimed the truth of God. Another aspect of walking with God means to proclaim the truth about God. Another place where the Bible speaks of Enoch is in the book of Jude. Jude is one of the brothers of Jesus who came to saving faith that his brother or if you will, half-brother, at least, with the same mother, Jesus, God being Jesus' father, not Joseph. Jude, brother of Jesus, comes to saving faith after Jesus' death and resurrection, and he writes in his letter, in verse 4, of the ungodly people of his age. It says, for certain people have crept in specifically to the church, unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude's writing about it happening 2,000 years ago. But a little bit later on in his letter, he says the same thing was happening during Enoch's life. And Enoch did the same thing that Jude was doing, proclaiming the truth. Down in Jude chapter, or there's only one chapter, so in Jude verse 14, it was also about these ungodly people that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied or proclaimed the truth, saying, Behold, the Lord comes, with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. doesn't seem that much has changed in all of the years between Enoch and Jude And I would say not much has changed in the 2,000 years from Jude till now. The world is full of ungodly sinners, of which I told all of you, you were one of them just a moment ago. That all of us are born with a sinful nature, born as sinners, living in rebellion against God, ungodly. And yet, Enoch And his life shows us that there is 
a way to walk with God and be with him forever. That is to live by faith, to please God by living by faith, to by faith proclaim the truth of God, to by faith enjoy the presence of God. When you're considering what it means to walk with God, it means to please Him. It means to proclaim the truth. It means to enjoy the presence of God. One of the prophets in the Old Testament, Amos 3.3, says, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? The answer is no. Two cannot walk together unless they have agreed to do so. And by faith, we have agreed to walk with God and and to enjoy His presence forever. And that's what Enoch was doing during his life. His life was radically different than the rest of the world that was living during his day and age. It was radically different. Phineas was another in the Bible's history whose life was radically different The prophet Malachi writes about Phinehas, who was the son of Aaron, a priest in Israel, and writes about Phinehas' life walking with God and how all of the other priests should walk with God. And he says this in Malachi 2, verse 5, My covenant with him, with Phinehas, was one of life, one of peace, and I gave them to him. Think about what it means to walk with God and enjoy his presence. It means uh, to enjoy life and and peace as a gift from God. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. This is the description of those who walk with God and enjoy his presence. This was true of Enoch. It was true of uh, others. Noah is another one who will be described in chapter 6, verse 9, as having walked with God. Uh, there are others who walk with the Lord. And this is why the writer of Hebrews urges fellow believers in Jesus Christ to hold fast and to draw near to him. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14, consider these words, Christian. Since then we have a great high priest, a, a better priest than Aaron, a better priest than Phineas, a better priest than all of the priests that are listed in the Bible. We have a better, a greater high priest who has passed through the heavens, from heaven to earth, Jesus, the Son of God. He says, therefore, let us hold fast. Let us walk with our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Without sin. Different from from us. Let us 
then with confidence draw near, walk with him to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Even though we are born as sinners and deserve eternal death, there is a way to walk with God and be with Him forever. And the way to walk with God and be with Him forever is by faith. By faith in God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. There is no other way. If left to ourselves, we would continue in sin and we would spend eternity separated from God in eternal death in hell. But because God sent Jesus and because Jesus came and he left heaven and he came to earth and he lived a sinless, perfect life, and willingly laid down his life on the cross and was buried in the tomb for three days and rose victorious over sin and death, by faith in Jesus, we can enjoy spending eternity with God forever, but we can also walk with him now. That's the hope that we have. That's the only hope that we have. That's why we gather together every single Sunday to better learn about what it means to walk with God, to better learn what it means of the way that God made for us to walk with Him, to be spurred on to go and encourage others to walk with Him. We can, by faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose again, walk with Him and be with Him forever. In fact, we're commanded to do so. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, God's Word says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Answer, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. He's demanded it of you. When we face God in heaven when we die, because we will die. Just like everyone in this genealogy, when we face God, our only hope in that moment is to say, we walked by faith with you in your one and only Son. And so let that be an encouragement to you. I mean, if you have any hope in your life, let it be that you walked with God. I don't want to die anytime soon, but if you happen to be making my tombstone, I hope that you would be able to say that of me at the end of my life. He walked with God. She walked with God. I hope that anybody looking in at our church would be able to say that is true of our church. They walk with God. Parents, would your kids be able to say this about you? My parents weren't perfect And they're going to die one day, or they've already died, but they walked with God. Or of your friends, would they be able to say this of you? I can say a lot of things about that person, but they walk with God. There's no other hope in this life 
but that we walk with God by faith in his one and only son, Jesus Christ. That's one of the, that's the second major nuance in our text, but it continues on a few more generations. It goes on to Methuselah. Some of you know Methuselah from Bible trivia or something like that, is the oldest man in the entire Bible and probably the entire world as having lived 969 years old. And not only is that cool, and not only will you win like kudos points on the hardest question, level 10 in Bible trivia when you're playing it with your friends this weekend, uh, but there is something more from the numbers of Methuselah's life that help us to understand some of the nature and character of God. It says in verse 25 that when Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Methuselah's name and his years teach us something about God. In in fact, if you were to add up all of his years, his son's years, Lamech, and Lamech's son Noah's years, um, as they had their first sons, the years would total 800 and 69 years. And then the Bible tells us that when Noah was 500 years old, he spent the next 100 years building an ark, totaling 969 years. You see, Methuselah died in the year that the flood came. And his name almost screams it at us. His name means when the javelin is sent forth, when judgment is sent forth, commentators would say. It was almost like a a prediction. When this guy goes down, when this guy dies, judgment is coming. And God here fulfills that. And that's not just cool Bible history that you can know and put back there and impress your friends later on. What it ought to do is urge you to repentance. Because what 969 years seems to say to me is that God is patient. God is long-suffering with sinners. He's not slow, as some count slowness, Peter writes in his letter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, 5 through 9. Peter writes about these moments in the flood. In verse, chapter 3, verse 5, he says, For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. Speaking of the flood. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, 
being kept until another day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But Peter considers all of that history and he says this, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved. And I would say to you, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as about a thousand years about 969 years, about a lifetime of Methuselah long. And a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, sinner. Is patient toward me, sinner. Not wishing that any of you any of us should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Not wishing that any of you should perish in eternal death, but repent and believe and walk with God now and enjoy life with Him forevermore. If you're taking notes, note this, that God is not slow, but is patient towards sinners. This is what Methuselah's life screams at us in this moment. Having watched his father be taken up by the Lord, not have to endure the days that were coming in the wickedness and the evil and the ungodliness, he walked with God so faithfully that God saw it fit to snatch him up Methuselah watched that happen and then had his own son, Lamech, as we see in verses 28. Lamech had lived 182 years and fathered a son, and he called his name Noah. And again, just like in the first generation, just like in the seventh generation, just like in the tenth generation, all Generations of importance and meaning, we see another nuance here. The name of Noah, and he named him Noah saying this, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief. Or this one shall bring us rest. Or this one shall bring us comfort from the work and from the painful toil of our hands. Nevertheless, Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters, and all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Lamech named Noah, and and gave him a, a name that meant something, that called out hope in the midst of a genealogy of death. Uh, that it called out relief, rest, comfort in the midst of a world that was lacking relief, lacking rest, lacking comfort. Uh, Lamech named his son prophetically, if you will saying that 
that Noah, through Noah, God was going to bring relief through this one, Lamech says. And, and Noah, in fact, does. It, you don't have to fast forward that far to get to Genesis chapter 6 or just recall in the back of your mind some of those Bible stories you were taught as a kid and remember the story of Noah and God telling him to build an ark and to take his family on the ark and that God would save mankind through the faithfulness of this one. And yet, the people reading the book of Genesis first during the life of Moses know that even after Noah got off the boat, he sinned. And he passed on his sinful nature to his kids who sinned, and they sinned, and they sinned, and on and on and on. Abraham sinned, Isaac sinned, Jacob sinned, Joseph sinned. All of the people who were delivered out of Egypt towards the promised land were dealing with sin. And there was no one who was delivering them from the wickedness and the evil of the world. There was no rest. They were trying to get to the promised land where they could enjoy rest. They were hoping that God would get them to this place of relief and comfort. But even when they got there, there still wasn't perfect rest. There still wasn't perfect relief. There still wasn't perfect comfort. They too were longing. When they were reading about Noah, they knew that Noah wasn't the one, the chosen one who would bring them perfect and eternal rest, that there was another one that they were waiting for, and they waited for him by faith. And the next generation died and the next generation waited by faith. And that generation died, and the next generation waited by faith until one came, whose name was Jesus. And he came, and he alone brought ultimate comfort from sin and death. This is why Jesus says of himself in John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, whoever believes in me, though he die, like all the other genealogies before, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. In a passage highlighting death after death after death, Jesus Christ alone is our only hope to escape death. Jesus Christ is our only hope to be able to enjoy life. Life even here on this earth. Otherwise, we're just dead men and women walking. If you want to enjoy life on this earth, we do it by faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose from the dead and says to everyone who believes in him, yet though you die, yet shall you live. And that's our hope. That truth ought to cause you, if you this morning recognized that you're a sinner without hope, deserving death, 
eternal, not just death on this earth, but eternal death separated from God for all eternity. That should more than anything spur you on to repent of your sins, considering how patient, kind, long-suffering the Lord has been towards you up to this point. Repent and believe. Find life here, now, and find eternal life waiting for you when you breathe your last here on this earth. That's the only hope you have. But it should also spur us on to spend the days and the years that we are given on this earth radically different. It should not spend, we should not spend our years just trying to extend our years on this earth, but to use them well, to spur on others, to help others come to faith in Jesus Christ, to help others know that they can have life here and life forevermore. And I want to close with this story of one man. His name is George Williams. And he is the founder of the YMCA. In fact, his name is Sir George Williams. He's a knight in England. And he was born to a a farming family in England, and at the age of 13, son, he left the home to work full-time. And when he did, he describes himself having left his home city of Bridgewater as a godless, thoughtless, uncaring, swearing young fellow. All right? Does that describe sinful sinners Deserving death? I think so. So he gets to London. He begins working in a drapery factory. And it was there that two co-workers invited him to church. And when he went to church, he heard the word of God. He heard the good news of life in Jesus Christ. And he says it was like a light came on. And an arrow left from the shaft of God's bow in heaven and pierced his heart. He believed. He put his faith in Jesus. He began walking with God on that day. And he went back to his drapery factory and he led 27 other co-workers to Christ. He moved to another factory and began leading people to faith in Jesus at that place. And it was there that those followers of Jesus started the Young Men's Christian Association to which their mission long, long ago was written out as this. The Young Men's Christian Association seeks to unite these young men who, regarding Jesus Christ as their God and Savior, according to the Holy Scriptures, desire to be His disciples in their faith and in their life and to associate their efforts for the extension of of his kingdom amongst young men. That was the passion. That was the mission that this man, this new creation who established the YMCA sought to see fulfilled in his lifetime. But then at the end of his life, when he was on death's door and his genealogy almost said, it said, and he, I mean, they were just waiting to write died on his genealogy at that point. 
At the end of his life, he got up and he spoke at the annual meeting of the YMCA. And he was so sick with a chronic cough that he couldn't even get these words out. And so he asked someone to read these words. Some of the last words of Sir George Williams to the YMCA. He says, my word for you tonight would be, go forward. Expect great things from God. Next to the peace and joy which have come to me through my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My greatest happiness has been found in the work of the association. I would therefore urge upon all young men to give themselves body, soul, and spirit to the Savior who loved them and died for them and spend their lives in seeking to extend His kingdom. Thus shall come to them satisfaction and peace in the world and eternal life and glory in the life to come. That's a beautiful picture of what God can do. Taking one sinner saved by grace through faith to walk with Him by faith and use His years well for not only His own good, but for the good of others around Him. Those were good words for the YMCA so long ago. They're good words for our YMCA even now, as I read these words at our board meeting this past week, but they're good words for our church as well, from this brother in Christ that lived so long ago. So put your faith in him. Seek to walk with the Lord more than anything else in this life. Enjoy him now and forevermore. Let's pray. Father God, may that be true of each and every individual in this room. God, I pray that when each of us are considering that title of that message, are we walking with God, we would do so, answer that question honestly. And if we're not, I pray, God, that even right now, in this moment, that some would repent of their sins and believe upon the name Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection and be saved. God, I pray for those of us who have, who have repented and believed and are walking with you, that we would walk, oh, so much more closely not simply trying to extend the years that our genealogy would tell that we lived, but seeking to extend our impact, knowing that we have eternity waiting for us, that we would seek to live our lives so that others might not be separated from you for all eternity in hell, but to enjoy life with you now, walking with you now in life forevermore by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them. God, may that be true of our church, that we would be a church 
that cares not simply about what we get in this life, but what we have waiting for us in the next life. That we would spend our lives well, sacrifice our lives well, give of our lives well, serve with our lives well, hoping that others who are without you at this point in their lives would put their faith and trust in you because we have shown what hope there is in Jesus Christ, because we have spoken the good news of hope in Jesus Christ. So God, help us to do that well. You know, it's only possible through your empowering Holy Spirit, and it's all for your namesake. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.